From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day edition, we'll talk with Ambassador Ken Blackwell, who is former mayor of Cincinnati, about whether or not the Biden administration is using the legacy of Dr. King to advance federal policies that will actually undo the gains that have been made in this country and the practical application of the Declaration's prescription that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That interview is coming up. In just a moment. And with Russian troops surrounding Ukraine on three sides, is an invasion inevitable? The jury's out on which path Vladimir Putin is going to choose. Is he going to choose the path of diplomacy and dialogue to resolve uh, some of these problems, or is he going to pursue confrontation and aggression? That was Secretary of State Anthony Blinken on Morning Joe late last week. We'll talk with Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, a member of the House Armed Services Committee. He is also the new ranking member on the subcommittee on readiness for the military. So I'll get his take on how the Army is struggling to find recruits who will enlist. Also, the ranking member on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform is here with a recently revealed paper trail that suggests a possible cover-up on the source of the coronavirus almost two years ago. Who is suspected of the cover-up and why did they cover it up? Kentucky Congressman James Comer joins me with those answers. And what the FBI has called a terrorist event in Texas over the weekend ended with the terrorist, 44-year-old British national Malik Fazl Akram, being shot by police. No hostages at the Jewish synagogue were injured. The rabbi, Charlie Crichton, Walker credited the survival of the congregants on security training the congregation received just a few months ago. We'll talk about the growing need of the unfortunate need for security in houses of worship with former Baton Rouge Police Chief Greg Ferries a little later here on Washington Watch. And finally, a ray of political sunshine over the weekend as Republican Glenn Youngkin was sworn in as governor of Virginia. I was invited to be there for the festivities, but was unable to make it. But what thrills me most is what Governor Yunkin did right after he was sworn in. And we have instructed our, our Board of Education. I've instructed our Secretary of Education, our State Superintendent of Public Schools, to review the curriculum and get racially divisive and other divisive teaching concepts out of the school system. Hmm. We're not going to teach our children to view everything through a lens of race. That was Governor Yunkin yesterday on Fox News Sunday. We'll talk about it with FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, Meg Kilgannon, later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Everything's archived right there at TonyPerkins.com if you miss anything. All right, today's Bible verse, for those of you who are on the journey of our Stand on the Word, a two-year journey through the Bible, today's verse comes from Genesis chapter 39, verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. If you read that passage, you'll, uh, you'll experience or you'll see from Job, or from uh, Josh, from Joseph rather, that to experience the favor of God in the most unfavorable environments, we have to embrace the Lord and his truth, adapt to the challenges that we face and stay on mission is serving the Lord. Again, if you'd like to uh, join us in our two-year journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. Almost eight years ago, Russia invaded and occupied the Crimean region of Ukraine. 
while their presence is still strong in the occupied region, few nations recognize it as a legitimate Russian territory. Is the recent buildup of Russian troops, which now have Ukraine boxed in on three sides with an estimated 100,000 troops, is this Russia gearing up to finish the job to invade the rest, the rest of Ukraine? Joining me now to talk more about this, House Armed Services Committee member and decorated Green Beret, Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Hey, good to be with you, Tony, and Happy New Year. Thank you, sir. Happy New Year to you as well. In your view, is this Russian troop buildup at the Ukrainian border a sure sign of a future invasion? It's not a definite sign, but I have to tell you, Tony, I was just out there uh, in Kyiv and in Ukraine about a month ago, and it's, uh, it's looking pretty ominous. It's not so much the numbers of troops but it's also the types of troops that Putin's putting on the border, many of them from his National Guard, uh, who really are only trained in occupation duty. So uh, but that said, there's a lot of options open to Putin. Uh, he could achieve a lot of what he wants uh, through cyber, through cutting off gas uh, that heads into Ukraine in the middle of winter. Uh, and also through limited incursions from the portions of Ukraine that they've already invaded. Uh, or uh, they could take partial or all of the country. I think an invasion itself uh, is going to be pretty much a slam dunk for a massively um, uh, uh, overwhelming and and an army that outguns the Ukrainians, but an occupation uh, could be something altogether. Uh, And and that's why uh, Biden should be sending lethal arms now, and not just the amount of lethal arms, the types, the types that Putin most fears, surface-to-air missiles, uh, uh, shore-to-ship missiles, in order to stop him from invading in the first place. Uh, Instead, uh, what Biden is promising is tough action after uh, Russia invades. And I have to tell you, Uh, The Ukrainians out there that I'm talking to are saying that doesn't do us much good to take tough action uh, after, uh, you know, tanks are sitting in our capital. Maybe we should have sent all the stuff we left in Afghanistan over to uh, Ukraine. That might have helped them out. Uh, Let me what's motivating uh, Putin? Why the move on Ukraine? It's it's about something much bigger than just Ukraine. Well, there's a long history there of uh, Russia seeing Ukraine as part of it. Uh, there, you know, if you if you go a thousand years back, actually, uh, uh, Kiev was the capital of then Russia. Uh, so there is a long ethno-centric uh, uh, kind of connection there. Number one, number two, uh, Putin has long uh, desired to reestablish the Soviet, uh, you know, the old Soviet boundaries. Three, uh, Ukraine offers a lot in terms of oil, gas, uh, industrial capacity, population, access to the Black Sea that Putin also wants. But I think the bigger piece here, Tony, is that he knows he can get away with it with Biden in the White House. Uh, He got away with it with Obama and the same national security team that's around Biden was around Obama then. Little happened. By the way, he did it just a few months after uh, the Sochi Olympics. We have the Beijing Olympics just a few weeks away, and he invaded Georgia in 2008 during the Beijing Olympics uh, back then. Uh, and then the final piece, Tony, I just don't think we can uh, you know, overstate 
how Biden's failed energy policies are playing into this. When you crack down on American pipelines, on drilling, on fracking, uh, and you move America away from energy independence, you put that, that demand in the hands of the Russians. We now have Europe more dependent on Russian oil and gas. Putin is flush with cash with the high price of oil, and he now has a pipeline in place, the Nord Stream 2, that allows him to bypass Eastern Europe and bypass Ukraine and create a dependency in Western Europe. So when Biden says, well, I'm going to put tough sanctions in place, they have to be in euros and dollars. And I don't think he's going to see the Europeans get on board because they're now dependent on Russia for uh, to heat their homes in the middle of winter. Well, not only the those driving personal interest of uh, heating oil and such, but it's also the inability to trust America. I mean, after what we saw in Afghanistan, right. I would have to think our allies are going to think twice before they follow us. Yeah, I want to be clear. Nobody's talking about, because you, you hear a lot of this, uh, even in more conservative outlets, You know, nobody's talking about putting uh, hundreds of thousands of U.S. troops on the ground in Ukraine and fighting the Russians. We're talking about providing Ukraine with the, with the material, with the resources, with the arms that it needs to defend itself. Why is that in our interest? Well, uh, China's watching. Iran is watching. North Korea is watching. They already saw us abandon one uh, democracy, even as imperfect as it was in Afghanistan, and walk away there. We walk away now in Ukraine. Uh, and I truly fear for Israel. I fear for Taiwan. I fear for South Korea. Authoritarianism is on the march because they smell weakness in this White House. Uh, and uh, that's how, you know, that's how aggressive nations behave. They take advantage of that weakness. Uh, and that's how you lead to global instability that will affect every American. What in particular about Ukraine? I mean, obviously, Russia has a, a lot of landmass to cover. They're looking, I think Putin's looking for buffers, you know, to protect the, the homeland. But also, as you point out, Ukraine friendly with NATO. And what Putin is saying, this is a security threat to Russia as Ukraine becomes uh, more engaged with, uh, with, with NATO. But as you point out, if we walk away from Ukraine, we're sending a very strong message to other democracies around the world that's that right. basically you're on your own. Yeah, that's right. And and don't think uh, he's going to stop uh, with Ukraine. Uh, next will be uh, the Baltics, uh, which, which Putin deeply resents, have joined NATO. Uh, and if NATO doesn't take a stand there where you have treaty allies, then you truly have fractured the alliance. Uh, next will be the Balkans, uh, and then you can see Russian pockets uh, in, in Eastern Europe. Uh, and in the midst of all of this, uh, you'll have China watching and seeing a moment of advantage. Uh, and again, you've got Iran racing towards a nuclear weapon that if they achieve it, uh, they have already stated uh, they will threaten Israel with it, uh, and not to mention kick off a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. So all of this should matter, uh, I think, to every American. And it's in all of our interests to have stability around the world. And that stability since World War II has been underpinned by American leadership uh, with the backing of the United States military, a full, capable, fully resourced uh, uh, United States military. Meanwhile, we're dealing with defense cuts coming from the Biden administration. 
Well, I want to turn to that now very quickly, uh, Congressman Waltz, because, as you said, we're not talking about putting troops on the ground. So I want to be very clear about that. But the stronger your military is and the better prepared it is, the less likely you have to use it. Are we pursuing a strong, ready military that is there to basically keep peace by not having to use it? Well, when you have uh, your Secretary of Defense state as his number one priorities coming in uh, to eliminate the growing threat of white supremacy, even though there's no data to back that up, uh, their own report showed uh, 100 members of the military participating in any type of extremist, Islamic extremist, white nationalist, any, but that's 100 people out of two and a half million. I mean, that's a fraction of a fraction of a percent, yet that's his number one priority, and climate is his number one priority. Meanwhile, the Chinese have a larger Navy now than the United States Navy. They've launched more into space than the United States and the rest of the world combined. We've talked about Russia on the march uh, and Iran's nuclear weapons. So the priorities have been misplaced, number one, and then you couple that with cuts in the budget. I mean, just inflation alone, if the budget stays flat, uh, you'll see a 7% decrease, 40 to 50 million. I'll tell you, as ranking member of readiness, and hopefully when we flip the House, the chairman uh, that's responsible for training, uh, I will push and do everything I can to get CRT divisive uh, and, and race-focused training out of the United States military, out of our military academies. There's nothing more destructive than morale. The only colors our military members should be worried about are the red, white, and blue they're wearing on the right sleeve. I agree 100%. I look forward to having those conversations with you, uh, Congressman Waltz, as we look forward to what it's going to take to make our military strong and healthy again. Congressman, great to talk with you. Thanks so much for being with us All today. Right. Thank you. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back after the break with more. Are you struggling to spend consistent time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible. FRC's two-year Bible reading plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how His Word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. The Stand on the Word reading plan takes you through daily scripture in an engaging manner to help you stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God, and He has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start this adventure today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we'll text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org Bible. With the current division and confusion of our culture, it is so important for Christians to root ourselves in the truth of God's Word so that we are prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. For this purpose, Family Research Council launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. The Center applies the Bible and the historical teachings of the Church to current issues. This helps Christians understand and live by a biblical worldview, know why Scripture must be authoritative, and equips believers to advance and defend the faith in workplaces, schools, communities, and the public square. The experts at the center address and provide resources on issues like religious liberty, abortion, voting, marriage, and sexuality. To access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series, go to frc.org worldview. 
to get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including blogs, interviews, and publications. Sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. At Family Research Council, it is important to us that we stay connected with you and that you stay informed. With the increase in tech censorship of conservatives and Christians, we've decided to be proactive to make sure we don't go completely dark due to censorship. That is why we've created a tech subscription platform. If we get canceled, you can stay informed and still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. How? Just text STAND to 67742 to sign up for our text alerts, and you will get FRC's content straight to your phone. Again, just text STAND to 67742, and you will get special alerts on the biggest stories of the day. You can stay informed with just a simple text. We want you to be able to stay connected with like-minded community and to always have access to our content. Stay connected and informed. Just text STAND to 67742. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Today's a national holiday, federal holiday. It's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. It's a day where Americans of all races and ethnicities pause to reflect on the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, I, quite frankly, I, I, I love to read his speeches and actually listen to some. I think he was brilliant in the way he communicated. Uh, but there are some that use this as an opportunity to push agendas. And on this federal holiday that honors him, it's not just enough to praise him. We must commit to his unfinished work, to deliver jobs and justice, to protect the sacred right to vote, the right from which all other rights flow. The attack on our democracy is real, from the January 6th insurrection to the onslaught of Republicans' anti-voting laws in a number of states. It's no longer just about who gets to vote. It's about who gets to count the vote and whether your vote counts at all. It's about two insidious things, voter suppression and election subversion. (sighs) That was President Joe Biden this morning at the White House using this opportunity to push for the Democrats' voters' right bill, which is a federal takeover of elections. Joining me now to talk more about this is our good friend, Ambassador Ken Blackwell, who uh, is also a senior fellow for human rights and constitutional governance here at the Family Research Council and former mayor of my home city of Cincinnati. Ken, welcome back to Washington Watch. Tony, it's good to be with you on this Martin Luther King Day. And let's talk a little bit about this. Is the Biden administration, and they wouldn't be by themselves, but are they using the legacy and distorting the legacy to accomplish their political agenda? Of course, Tony. And just remember the statute that's in D.C. of Dr. King, uh, where they quote Dr. King, they make no reference to his many references to the majesty of of God and God's God's word. Uh, And so, you know, Joe Biden uh, is is talking about voter suppression. But as you will note, he has not actually pointed to one case of voter suppression that he's basing this this accusation of a return to Joe, uh, Jim Crowism. Uh, this guy wouldn't know Jim Crow if he poured it on him, uh, because he in fact was not a part of the civil rights movement. And while I was a young kid, 
Uh, I, in fact, uh, was part of the civil rights movement uh, with Dr. King and Fred Shuttlesworth uh, and, and, and Andy Young, as a matter of fact. So, uh, look, uh, one of the things that we have to celebrate is that Dr. King, his success turned on our embrace of the moral, relative, uh, moral absolutism of, of the Judeo-Christian uh, heritage and, and, and value system. Uh, and so uh, he was a, 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 a wall that pushed back against the march of moral relativism. Uh, and Joe Biden, uh, the squad, uh, and that clown car that's driving the White House right now, they are advocates of moral relativism, uh, and they reject God's word. Well, that's that was one thing in his that clip that I played of the president where he talked about from Dr. King's perspective, he would see that the right to vote is the one right from which all others flow. And that struck out stuck out at me initially uh, as one problem here, because I think Dr. King would have said the freedom of religion is the the right, the freedom from which everything else flows. Absolutely, because Dr. King understood that it was in that freedom that the individual conscience, the individual will was expressed. Uh, and so the right to vote, the individual ballot, uh, the, the ballot becomes a voice, but it is the individual conscience and the individual will uh, and, 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 and the fundamental understanding that our, our rights, our fundamental rights, are not grants from any government. They're gifts from God. And, right. and the big government socialism led by, <laughs> socialists led by uh, uh, the, the President Biden, uh, they, they don't get that. Let, let, let me take this thing head on for a moment there, Ken Blackwell, because you were not the first uh, black man elected as mayor of Cincinnati. But you've held a lot of posts. You've been Secretary of State. You've been Treasurer. You ran for governor. You've been ambassador to the U.N., uh, you, you've held a lot of positions, but in this, in your career, when you go back, I think you were mayor in the eighties in Cincinnati. I said it was my home city. It was a city of my birth. I, that's not my home city anymore for those. Of, I don't want to confuse anybody, <laughs> but y you have seen men and women of color elected to the United States Senate to, to the number of congressional seats, to governor's offices. You have seen a president of the United States. You've seen a vice president in your, in your professional adult career. All that has happened. How can anyone argue that our election system is not allowing people to participate and people to, to rise to the ability uh, that God has given them? Well, you have to be stuck on stupid to make to make that 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 argument, look, uh, and, I, and I've said this across uh, the the country today on radio programs, Tony. You know, Martin Luther King again understood that individual human dignity was was what we were out fighting for. Uh, we weren't fighting for a a big, expensive welfare state. We in fact wanted the right to work. We wanted the right to uh, have our families be the incubator of individual liberty. We didn't want to be stuck, you know, as a dependent. We wanted to be free will citizens. Uh, and 
we, in fact, as Lincoln said before the, the, the civil rights movement, we are not a perfect nation, but we are a perfectible nation. And anybody who wants to tell you that we're stuck in the 1960s or the 1950s or the 1970s or the 1980s, they are just filling you a lie that, in fact, uh, the American people won't, won't swallow. Well, it's, it's politically expedient for what they're trying to do, um, to, to, to hoist guilt onto the American people so that they can advance their socialist agenda. But it's time to call it for what it is. And uh, I appreciate the fact that you are doing that, Ken Blackwell. Always great to talk with you, my friend. Thank you, Tony. God bless you. Have a, all right. Have a great day. All right, folks, on the other side of the break, will the American people ever learn the truth of where the coronavirus originated from. Congressman James Comer joins me next on his quest to get to the bottom, the truth. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets, and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you uh, with us. Let me remind you, for those of you who uh, may not be familiar with our Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan, you can find out more about it by going to frc.org slash Bible. And um, we've got some interactive, uh, we've got an interactive calendar there for you. So you get uh, the verse or the passage for each day, other resources to help you along this journey. And uh, each morning about 844 Eastern time, you can catch me on uh, my Facebook page 
doing a mo morning devotional based on the reading for the day. Again, uh, find out more. Go to frc.org slash Bible to join us in this two-year journey through the Bible. All right, uh, 17 days into the new year and uh, yet another year in the fog of COVID-19. And uh, another, you know, and, and I predicted this was going to occur, that we should not consider what happened two years ago as being a one-off, especially when we saw politicians seizing this opportunity for control that this was going to be something we were going to have to face in the future. Well, we still don't know definitively the origins of the virus. Now, many point to the information that came out early about the Wuhan laboratory. Um, but uh, there's also information that says, you know, some were saying this occurred naturally or was it man-made? Did it come from the Wuhan Institute of Virology? You know, our government is um, really still nowhere close to providing a conclusive answer to that question. But do they really know? And has someone been sitting on the facts? We're going to be joined here in just a moment by the ranking member of the Oversight Committee in the House, who has uncovered their committee and looking into this has uncovered new emails that suggest that almost two years ago, Dr. Fauci and others were given information to suggest that this virus originated from the Wuhan laboratory and that it was genetically manipulated. There is a, a paper trail going back to January 27, 2020, um, where this information became available. So why has our government set on this information? Why have uh, why have not why has this not been verified or investigated further? Why was it suggested at the beginning if it were not true? Um, those are the answers that um, I think certainly we want to know, but members of the House Oversight Committee, Republicans, want to know as well. Uh, do we have uh, Congressman Comer? Okay, all right, we. Uh, have not been able to connect with him yet, but we are going to uh, to talk with him and get him to run through this this email trail that shows a timeline and suggest that uh, Dr. Fauci was warned back in February of 2020 that there was the potential of the COVID-19 virus leaking from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and that it appeared, looking at the structure of the virus, that it was an intentionally genetically manipulated. It was not natural. But yet there was great effort taken over the course of time. In fact, with just, uh, within just a few days of that information, um, in fact, February the 4th, 2020, uh, Dr. Fauci and... Uh, Dr. Collins and four participants of this conference call abandoned their belief that the, vi the virus originated from the Wuhan lab and authored a paper entitled, uh, actually focused on the fact that it was a natural um, a product of nature. Now, this was um, quite remarkable in such a short period of time being advised by some top scientists that this could have, in fact, been uh, manipulated and released from a laboratory that they began to 
push this narrative that it occurred naturally. I mean, I tell you, the more we see about Dr. Fauci, the more concerns that we have. And I think it goes back to this issue of, of power and control. And it raises questions about, I mean, it raises so many questions of, of being able to trust our government, being able to, quote unquote, trust the science, because the science I think what they, they use science as a club to suggest that, you know, unless you have, uh, you know, you're a Ph.D., a doctor, you can't understand these things. And therefore, your opinion does not matter. We're the doctors. In fact, Mr. Fauci has said, I am science and suggests that everyone surrender their autonomy and their rights to this administration based upon his advice. Uh, look, I, I think it, it's time to move on. And we need to tell, you know, those in positions of influence, look, this virus is here. It's like the flu. Yes, I know that it is, uh, it, it's dangerous, but we're seeing the mutations that are taking place, the Omicron, not clearly as lethal as the previous. In fact, I, I was talking with a hospital administrator over the weekend about this. It's nowhere near what we saw previously, but it's still being used by the media to scare us and by politicians to have control over us. And I say enough is enough. It's enough. Okay, all right, we didn't, uh, somehow we couldn't, for some reason could not connect with uh, Congressman Comer. We're getting back on the show later. But coming up next, we're gonna talk about what took place over the weekend in Texas with a terrorist attack occurring uh, in Texas, right outside of uh, Dallas. We're gonna be talking about that next as greater threats are seen to houses of worship with former chief of police in Baton Rouge, Greg Ferries. That's next here on Washington Watch. Don't go away. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. What is religious liberty and why should you care about it? Simply put, religious liberty is the freedom to choose your religious beliefs and to live according to those beliefs. Why should we care about this freedom? At Family Research Council, we care about religious freedom because we believe that it is an inherent human right that all governments have an obligation to protect. Tragically, not all governments do. Religious persecution is a tragic reality around the world that is not often acknowledged by the media, even though attacks on people of all faiths continue to increase globally. In Scripture, God calls Christians to pray and care for the persecuted church, the downtrodden, and those who cannot help themselves. 
Therefore, we must be advocates for those persecuted for their faith. To access Family Research Council's latest resources and to learn more about religious freedom and what you can do to help the persecuted, go to frc.org slash religious liberty. Attention university students. Are you looking for an internship that will help you grow as a Christian leader and allow you to positively influence the culture? Then Family Research Council's internship program is for you. FRC's life-changing 12- to 15-week internship program will prepare and equip you for the next step in your professional journey. You'll enjoy a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview training. All of these offerings were created to aid you in your personal and professional development. As an intern, you will have the opportunity to work side-by-side with our experts in policy, communications, event planning, and more. The real-world experience you gain will prepare you to pursue a career of influence and make a difference wherever God calls you. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving you the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Welcome back. I'm Tony Perkins, your host, and this is Washington Watch. Over the weekend, a 44-year-old British national took four hostages during uh, Coyer, uh, Texas uh, Synagogue's Shabbat morning service. News outlets reported Saturday that investigators believe the suspect may have been motivated by a desire to release Pakistani, uh, Pakistani Afia Shah Dalik. Uh, who is serving an 86-year sentence at a facility in Texas. She was convicted in 2010 on seven charges, including attempted murder and armed assault on U.S. officers in Afghanistan. The hostage taker died after an 11-hour standoff, and gratefully, all of the hostages got out alive. In uh, a later news interview, the rabbi that was held hostage was quoted as crediting past security training for getting himself and his congregants out safely. How important is this training, and how many houses of worship are now engaged in this type of security training? Joining me now to talk about this is the former Baton Rouge chief of police, Greg Ferries. Greg, welcome back to the uh, program. Thank you, Tony. Good to be with you. Now, Greg, I know that uh, this is one of the things you're doing now is uh, focusing on houses of worship and preparing them uh, for incidents such as this. How, I mean, how frequently now are we seeing these occur? More and more, Tony, and certainly you are sort of an expert on that. Um, it, it seems that attacks on people and churches and organizations because of their Judeo-Christian uh, or Christian beliefs are, are increasing. Yeah, we've seen, um, in fact, it, it, there seems to be a rise in anti-Semitism as well in, in the country. Where we've seen, I think, in the last decade, nine major attacks on uh, on Jewish synagogues. And um, I know that you, you've you've worked because we've done some work in the past. Uh, we've worked with those in the Israeli government. Uh, they seem to take this very serious. And so I think you're, we're seeing a number of these Jewish synagogues working together. Uh, to provide this type of training. The last uh, iteration of the training, uh, reportedly, that I read that the synagogue received was in August. Um, Is this something that more and more houses of worship need to be prepared for? Well, in my opinion, every house of worship needs to be prepared for it. 
And Tony, with with your background in the military and law enforcement, you know that as good as the police are and as diligent as they may be, um, generally you're going to have to handle your own situation if there's a violent attack. That That's true whether you're an individual, a hospital, a business, or a house of worship, because the police, unless they're already there, let's say in an executed capacity, their response time is going to be such that um, a lot of damage is going to be done before they get there. So what are some of the strategies, uh, Chief, that you teach churches um, if, if, you know, something like this, a situation like this were to occur? What, what do they need, number one, to prevent it, but number two, if it occurs, how do they respond? Tony, uh, our protocol and the training that we do, we go out and we look at the church, we look at their site, we look at what sort of uh, uh, threats they may have around them. We look at how they can keep a situation outside. Uh, We look at their entrances. We look at how to protect those. And we look at, if they choose to go that route, armed response. This um, this situation in in Texas. Do you have any idea what they had in place in terms of what the rabbi was accredited, crediting with uh, their safety? I don't. I've read every news article that I could get my hands on in preparation for our talk this afternoon, but I don't know the specifics of that training. But clearly, uh, the rabbi felt that that saved lives. So what can, uh, I mean, every time one of these things occurs, an event like this, unfortunately, you you have uh, some um, that you'll you'll see it kind of create a rash of events. We've already read in reports where law enforcement now, especially in large cities where there's a large Jewish population, are being proactive uh, in providing greater security. So I think this is going to be front of, uh, of mind for many churches and church leaders. Where can folks go to learn more about uh, church safety measures? I would suggest, Tony, that they uh, contact their local police department or sheriff's office. I would suggest that they talk to the FBI. I would suggest that they um, get a relationship with law enforcement, both local and federal, to where they get heads up on any kind of intel or any kind of threats that uh, that might be out there that that are not um, not really acute yet, but uh, forewarned is forearmed. And I would highly, highly suggest that they avail themselves of uh, any training that's available uh, from a provider like myself in their in their particular locale. Yeah, I think we, uh, Chief, I, we, we'd like this not to be an issue, but it is, and it uh, continues to be. We see these, uh, the, what uh, the FBI tracks as hate crimes against houses of worship. The numbers continue to climb, and as you said, it's, it's. Uh, I think preparation is one way uh, to keep it from occurring, and it gives uh, your congregants a, a much greater sense of uh, security when they know that you have a plan and you have personnel in place. You don't want to be devising your plan when the bad guy comes through the door. You want to be prepared. Absolutely. Chief, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. 
Uh, chief Greg Ferries, former chief of uh, Baton Rouge, also served as uh, sheriff in uh, East Baton Rouge. Um, you know, we, we, we usually talk about these when these events occur, but I, I know every church I've been a part of, we've had a, in the last two decades because of uh, the events that have been occurring in our country, the growing hostility, which is fomented, really, quite frankly, by, I think, some uh, on the left uh, who see religion as an obstacle, and so they foment this uh, this hatred and animosity. Um, and so I, I think we've got to be prepared, and I think making sure you have a security plan in place and the personnel in place. And I, I don't want to I don't think you can overemphasize what uh, Greg said about having relationships with local law enforcement, because most of them are more than happy to uh, to have that conversation. And some of them, actually, some of the bigger departments uh, have individuals on the department that can come out and, and help you in some of the more practical steps. Uh, they're not going to do everything for you, but they can come out and give you some advice and even point you in uh, certain directions to go. All right. As I mentioned earlier, a ray of political sunshine over the weekend as Republican Glenn Youngkin was sworn in as governor of Virginia. A state, by the way, that Joe Biden won by 10 points just a year ago. Now, it's considered a bellwether uh, for midterm elections. You know, Democrats are very nervous after Glenn Youngkin won the state of Virginia. But what I found very encouraging is that uh, Governor Youngkin did not waste any time getting to work. He issued 11 executive orders on Saturday saying these are important steps that we're taking today to begin the work of restoring excellence in education, making our communities safer, opening Virginia for business, and making government work for the people and not the other way around. Here to break down all that uh, the governor did as it pertains to education, a big issue in the gubernatorial election, is FRC's Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks so much, Tony. It's great to be here. All right. Just for the benefit of uh, some who may uh, be new to, to our listening audience, you know, remind them um, how Governor Youngkin pulled off this come from behind victory and how important the issue of education was in that victory. Well, education was the key issue in his victory. It is absolutely what made the difference for him as a candidate. Uh, he campaigned on um, the issue of parental rights and education uh, marginally from the beginning of his campaign. But what really turned it out is it, it turned it around as in terms of a game-changing issue was when his opponent said that parents had no right to say to, to have any say in what goes on in school. And of course, um, that's ridiculous. And uh, Governor Yonkin was able to um, capitalize on that mistake because he sincerely believes that parents do have the right to, to well, have a say in what's going on in schools. So. I, I don't think that was a mistake. I, I, I think <laughs> that was actually how they view it. But sure. with that in mind, of his 11 initial executive orders, one of those speaks directly to that issue. Tell our listeners about it. 
Yes. Um, one goes directly at the issue of what of parents having a say in their children's education, and it involves masking of kids in schools. And um, this is going to be this is going to be a very very contentious issue moving forward. Um, I'm very um, pleased to see him take it on. Frankly, um, it 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 means that that parents are going to be able to decide if their children are masked at school rather than the schools making that policy the superintendent of schools and the health department of each county and the state um, there have been all kinds of mandates um, sent down uh, over the the state of virginia from the state level health departments the county level health departments um, the, the individual school district um, health officers have made all kinds of pronouncements and rules and procedures during the pandemic. And it's, it's led to a, a, a hodgepodge of rather tyrannical um, dictates, none of which are uh, founded on science, <laughs> though they claim to be, um, or approved by voters. And so... Well, as you said, uh, there's conflict coming. We're not going to have to wait very long, but you've already had some school districts say they're going to keep their mandates in place. But what the governor has said in response is the parents have the right to make that decision as to whether or not their children will wear a mask. And if the school does not uh, adhere to the wishes of the parents, then the state is going to weigh in on behalf of the parents. Yes, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. We know in Florida, when Governor DeSantis did this, the uh, federal government came in and said, uh, we're going to cover the balance of what the state is going to refuse individual school districts when they have mask mandates. Uh, and that was a really contentious fight. Uh, we'll probably see similar uh, moves with this effort from Governor Yunkin, and it's something that we really need to have a, a conversation about uh, and, and see exactly what's going to happen. Um, he also banned critical race theory in classrooms. He referred to it as divisive concepts, in, and then comma, including critical race theory, is the way that the executive order is written. And um, I certainly hope that we can agree that divisive concepts includes gender identity and I'd love to see that banned from classrooms, too. But uh, banning critical race theory is a great start. Well, I think um, it could certainly lead to that as he's called for an investigation into what has occurred in Loudoun County, which that policy was really at the center of the policies in Loudoun County. Very much so. He uh, had an additional executive order um, calling for an investigation of what happened in Loudoun County. The Loudoun County School Board has had launched its own investigation, and it has not released the results of that investigation. Um, the, though, though the taxpayers paid for that investigation, it is for only apparently the use of the superintendent and the uh, school board members to know what those results were. So uh, the state now will come in and do its own investigation of what happened, and that will be those results will be made available to the public. That'll be a much more open process, and um, I don't think it's going to be fun for the people in Loudoun County to find out exactly what went on. Well, Meg, I, I find it uh, interesting 
that as the governor in this executive order on divisive theories, uh, critical race theory, the divisive concepts, rather, that uh, immediately you get those saying, well, CRT is not being taught in the classrooms. But the the governor did not back down and go, well, yeah, it's not being taught as CRT 101, uh, but that theory is underlying a lot of what our children are teaching. It's the lens through which uh, so many subjects are being taught. And, and good for him that he's not, you know, not allowing their, uh, you know, obfuscate their, their attempts to try to um, shield the truth, to uh, mislead the, the, the public. But he's pointing right to it and saying, no, it, it's, it's there. It's the underlying theory in many of these classrooms, and we're not going to allow it. Right. A lot of material has come down from various websites across the Commonwealth, um, government websites that housed material on critical race theory and critical race theory type concepts. Um, there's still a lot of material that needs to come down from the superintendent, the state superintendent's website on cultural competency and things like that. But um, this is um, a really great start from the governor. I, I'm really excited to see what is going to be uh, happening next. And um, he has uh, uh, really, with these executive orders, um, definitely made good on his campaign promises for a busy day one. He, he, he has. And I give him tremendous credit for that, not backing away from those promises and commitments. And I hope others uh, will follow suit with taking this uh, head on. Meg Kilgannon, always great to talk with you. Thanks, Tony. All right. All right, folks, thanks for joining us today. Always great to talk with you as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 